Welcome to the podcast. Why not? What if? I'm your host, Bruce Catlin, recording from beautiful Taos, New Mexico, where I ask myself, why not? What if I quit my job and move to New Mexico, the land of enchantment, and become a landscape painter, high mountain trail runner? So I did. So I wanted to find out who else has done that? Who else is doing that? And this is the podcast. And maybe you'll ask yourself, why not? What if? If you think you'd make a good guest on this podcast, contact me at Bruce, why not me, at gmail.com. We'll be right back with our guest. All right, so welcome, Josh. It's so good to talk to you and actually see you. Josh and I met through, as I've been seeming to meet a lot of my interviewees, on why not what if is on instagram and social media and i think josh you had liked you liked a hearted one of my paintings or something and then we started a discussion i'm a i'm a a jazz lover not a jazz aficionado but i love jazz and um wish i continued with my drums when i started many 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 years ago and then i got onto Bandcamp and i listened to a couple of your albums and was just blown away and i wanted to learn more about you and see if i can share your musical artistry with the with the globosphere out there on this podcast of why not and what if and being that that's the name of the podcast so how did you decide uh, why not why not be a musician you know what if i i did something different how did you be, how did you come to being a trumpeter uh, a jazz trumpeter um well that's, that's a really good question uh my mother actually is a musician, um, and uh, she's a classical musician, a pianist. Um, and the story of how I got started is actually a really interesting one because I didn't really want to play the trumpet at first. Uh, we had, you know, the fifth grade band in school, and um, we would sign up. There was like a trial, and uh, you would try uh, three different instruments, uh, you know, for about 20 minutes, and they decide which one they wanted you to play. And so they put me in there and I, I wanted to play, I actually wanted to play the, the percussion because I just thought I was a fifth grader and it seemed like toys to me. You know, I, it seemed like fun to hit stuff and, and make funny noises and stuff. But uh, I guess, you know, my mom felt at the time that um, I would not be playing enough in the band if I played the percussion. She thought there'd be too much resting. And uh, so, so she wanted me to play um, so then I, I, I got, well, I, I got really into the saxophone. I thought it would be really cool to play the saxophone. So the three instruments they, uh, we agreed to sign up for were uh, saxophone, trumpet, and um, violin. And my mom actually told me, your name is Joshua, so you really have to at least try the trumpet, see if it's right for you. I was like, okay, what the heck, you know, I'll give it a try. But I really wanted to play the saxophone. And so um, they, they started me on the violin, and I just, you know, I wasn't very good. And I was like... 10 or 11 and so it was pretty much too late for me to start you know the way the way things are with the violin kids mm-hmm. start when they're like four or five um and it just wasn't for me so uh and before that i should also mention i had piano lessons for a couple of years with my mom and so i learned how to read music and everything so that gave me a little bit of an edge but um but i i wasn't i didn't really take to the piano either so i th- i was playing the saxophone but they gave me a tenor and it was i was such a little kid that <laughs> The tenor was like bigger than I was, so I really couldn't play it. Uh, and of course, I didn't know enough about music at the time to say like, 
hey, uh, how about an alto or a soprano or something? I'm, I'm glad I didn't because uh, then they put me on the trumpet and they actually gave me a cornet. It's like a smaller trumpet. Um, you know, Louis Armstrong played the cornet a lot. Uh, I'm sure many of you have seen it before. But, um, you know, it was a funny thing. The minute I started, they, they showed me how to buzz the mouthpiece, which, you know, with the trumpet, you have two components. You have the mouthpiece and you have the trumpet. And you put the mouthpiece into the trumpet and you blow into it and that's how you get the sound. Um, but you can also play the mouthpiece just by itself. Uh, and so the lady who was instructing me taught me how to buzz the mouthpiece, and I did that. And then I put the mouthpiece in the horn. And it was the funniest thing, but I felt like I had done it before at some point. You ever do something for the first time, but you feel like you've done it before? Mm-hmm. Um, I just had kind of that feeling. And, um, uh, you know, she was just basically, I, I could I could just kind of play it. I mean, I could get kind of a good sound. and. And it, I kind of took to it. And that was like the first time in my life that anything had ever come easily to me at all. Like, I just, I had always um, struggled with, you know, learning. I wasn't a great student in school. I was okay at sports, but I wasn't, you know, incredible or anything. So it was the first time I ever did something. And it was like, it really kind of clicked with me. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, but I still wasn't really interested in doing it. But they signed me up. They said, well, you're playing the trumpet, and that's all there is to it. Uh, so then the first month or so, I didn't even really practice. I just didn't take it seriously. And then after about a month, they said, we're going to give you a playing quiz. And everybody had to get up in front of the class and play a song, you know, completely solo. And I got scared. How old were you at this point? I was uh, 11, I think, 10 or 11. Um, And my mom was always on my case. She was like, you know, if you don't practice, you're never going to get good. And I was like, well, I mean, I don't really care that much. You know, this isn't really that, that important or whatever. I mean, I just didn't, you know, take it seriously. Uh, I, I practiced like two days a week, so I wasn't like not doing anything, but I wasn't taking it seriously. And then this playing quiz happened, and I got really scared I was going to embarrass myself because the trumpet's the kind of instrument that I, and I learned this pretty quickly. Like, you really have to practice it every day. If you take a day off of the trumpet, you're going to notice. I mean, if you really practice all the time, other people might not notice. If you take a day off, and if you take two days off, people are going to notice probably. Three days off, everybody. It's like uh, the famous quote, was it Vladimir Horowitz? Somebody said, I take one day off, I know it. I take two days off, my wife knows it. I take three days off, everybody knows it. And so uh, so I started practicing kind of, I don't know if I started practicing every day, but uh, so then I get up there and I do this playing quiz uh, and I was playing like Go Talent, Go Talent Roadie or something <laughs> like that. And uh, <clears throat> I, didn't, I didn't do great, but I did okay. Uh, I didn't embarrass myself. Um, and, and then I started thinking, you know, if I really like stuck with this and kept practicing like I did this last week, how good would I start to get? And um, so that's what really, you know, I, I just started practicing every day after that. And then I started to get better. And that gave me more of an incentive to keep doing it. Uh, and after about a couple months of that, I was like, hey, you know, I really like doing this. This is actually turns out to be really cool. And uh, and then for Christmas, it's Christmas of 1996, I'll never forget. Uh, my mom actually had a piano student, a guy named Bill Peterson, who was uh, actually a jazz pianist and teaches at Florida State University, great jazz pianist. And he actually gave me as a Christmas gift um, the uh, Miles Davis Kind of Blue album. And so I listened to that and I heard Miles' first three notes of So What. I listened to Miles' solo and So What. I listened to what everybody else was playing on that. And I, I was pretty much like, wow, that's the way I want to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as time went on, I, I and, and from reading what Miles said about music and 
um, learning how to be a better musician, I learned I didn't want to sound exactly like Miles. I wanted to sound like myself. But at that time, I heard Miles, and I was like, man, if I could play like that, uh, I would be so happy, you know. And so, so uh, I just kept listening to that record. Uh, and I also had a copy of uh, Keith Jarrett at the Colon concert, which actually has no trumpet in it at all. It's just him playing piano solo. Um, but that's an amazing record, too, and it's all improvised. And so um, I think my mom mentioned to me, she said, you know, they're improvising on all these records. Pretty much everything in the solo, I mean, everything in the solo is just, they're just making it up as they go along. And I said, wow, that's really cool. So I started experimenting with that and just seeing what happened when I started um, uh, just making stuff up. And I so played along with records. I'm sorry and, to interrupt. When I so many questions for when did it kind of so you're 10, 11, 12. Uh-huh. When did it kind of click for you? Uh, I mean, that's still really young, the 10, 11. Well, that's the thing. That, that's pretty much what I what I decided pretty much when I was in fifth grade uh, that that's what I wanted to do. Um, I, I didn't really, you know, have any idea of I mean, I had some idea of the difficulty because I'd seen what my mother had gone through. Um, but I just, you know, when you're a kid, you, you don't tend to really understand that stuff. You know, I didn't care about money at that time that much anyway. I was like, well, as long as I can pay my, my rent, you know, I'm good. I, I still kind of feel like that way, honestly. You know, I didn't think about it as deeply. Like, I wasn't one of those people thinking like, you know, I'm going to start a pension when I get to be, you know, 16 years <laughs> old, and, uh, you know, make sure that uh, every job I have is paying into that. So, you know, by the time I'm 60, I can retire. I mean, I wasn't thinking along those lines. I was just thinking, I, I mean, I was always really out of step with, you know, the conventional path in life. That was just the way I always was. Uh, I, I mean, there were some people, you know, as I grew up and went through grade school, they, they were already trying to, you know, prepare for, uh, like I said, their financial futures and all those things. And I, I wasn't thinking about that stuff. I was just like, uh, you know, I, I want to play the trumpet and get really good at it. <laughs> that was pretty much all so I cared crazy. about. A lot of people will think, OK, well, he must have been had a, a, a fund that he could or his mother was wealthy uh, for, for you to think that way. Is that true or you just come from working class? Um, I mean, my father uh, is a, a college professor and my mother is a musician. I grew up from the time I was nine. I grew up uh, with my mother mostly. So I had kind of a kind of a mix of kind of you know, middle class, upper middle class experience from my father, but also kind of actually a working class experience from living with my mother. And so I kind of um, experienced both sides of that. I certainly wasn't rich or wealthy, um, but and still not today. But but I got it. I got a um, a taste of both of those sides of life. And um, I, I don't really. Also, you know, my, my folks are always real good with money, and that's something that I've I've really um, inherited from them. Is that you know, I learned if I made money, I didn't just spend it; I would put it away uh, right. because I knew that I would need that uh, to make more music or to do other the things. The reason, yeah, and the reason I asked Josh is because you know I've coached a lot of people, and there's always a reason if there's some hesitancy and it's usually resistance based on some kind of fear, they're not going to go after what they want. In your case to be a jazz musician will say well you know that person can do it because they have money and i just have to work all the time and you're and you're proving that's not true it's just a lot of hard work um most of us come from middle class or middle upper class because the the wealth gap is so big so 
I just wanted. I'm just saying other things. I think this is an important thing. Like, like Miles Davis's father was a dentist. My father is a college professor, and I'm proud of that. I mean, a lot of people always get on this whole thing of like, oh, uh, you know, I came from nothing and I did everything myself, and and I did, and 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 I, I'm not really trying to perpetuate that kind of a mm-hmm. thing because I don't think, I, I think like most people in the regular music field, uh, I mean, maybe in you know in hip hop or rock and roll it might be different. But I mean, in the jazz field, most people these days don't come up from dirt poor backgrounds because those, unfortunately, because I've seen this having taught in many schools that where people really were coming from more impoverished backgrounds, um, a lot of those people don't even get to play instruments. And that's actually something that I've worked to help improve because it's it's really a shame that people, you know, from certain backgrounds don't even get a chance. And actually, I wanted to be a classical musician at one point in my life, uh, in addition to being a jazz musician. And, uh, you know, as a classical trumpet player to, have, to play in an orchestra, you have to buy all these different trumpets. And uh, and I remember thinking, you know, for, for a kid who really doesn't have much money, uh, that would be, I mean, I, I didn't do it even then because, uh, you know, that was hard for me to do. And it just didn't seem for me really what I wanted. So I just didn't go there. Yes. I mean, to buy all those trumpets, like a C trumpet and a piccolo and a to this day, I don't have all those trumpets. I just right. I just rent one if I need it. Uh, and uh, luckily for most people, I don't really play in the orchestra that much. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so that's that's pretty much uh, you know. But but you know, I'm, I'm proud of my parents and what they've accomplished. My my mother uh, worked so hard for so many years on uh, on Long Island in New York City for about 25, 30 years, teaching piano lessons. And she, you know, she she came from very working class parents. Her her father was a uh, a prison worker and her mother was a homemaker so and she lived in a place called Soledad California which is like the middle of nowhere up in northern California and and she always says that you know it would have been easier for her if she and it would have been easier for her if she could have afforded to go to Juilliard and she was you know talented enough to to go the conservatory route but she just didn't have the opportunity um she worked really hard and she still made a career for herself in music and she made it easier for me to do it you know um by all the hard work that she has done and, you know, supporting yourself, teaching piano lessons is not easy. So no, it's, it's not, I think you know, we lived in a house, not, not an apartment. And so, you know, she worked really, really hard and still does. Uh, and I'm really proud of her. I'm proud of my parents. And that's uh, nice. so I think, yeah, just well, they're lucky to have you I'm proud of who I am. I think it's something I've learned over time, but I think as an artist, that's important to not, you know, try to, convince people you're a certain thing just be like this is me that's okay so to be truly authentic and so you while you were in high school you went to a lot of summer arts uh camps and workshops and then um upon finishing high school you attended the university of michigan and in 2007 so people are going to kind of know your age you released your first self-titled album at the age of you ready listeners 21, 21. After receiving your bachelor's, you then received a master's. This is something I didn't know before we spoke. Just reading about you at the New England Conservatory, where you perform with Dave Holland and David Liebman. And and then I do want to hear that, but I'm so excited that you play with Arturo O'Farrell. So for those of you who don't know what Arturo O'Farrell 
go look him up on your favorite web browser and you will be blown away by his Afro Latin jazz orchestra. So let me back up. I'll just put that little carrot out there for our listeners ears. So you, what was going, what was your graduate program like? What was that experience like? Uh, no, conservatory. Um, well, uh, it, it was, you know, it was an amazing thing for me because I had been in Ann Arbor, Michigan for, I think, 15 years. Uh, I, I was born in New York, and then when I was six, kind of a, my parents thought it would be better for me if we moved out to the Midwest. And so we moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I lived there for 15 years. And, um, you know, it was, it's a small town kind of, I mean, it's, it's about, what, 100,000, 150,000 people. Uh, there's a good music scene there, um, and I was really fortunate to have some uh, some of the professional musicians, you know, take me under their wing and let me sit in with them. And that really, um, actually, that really accelerated my desire to do it, too, because I remember the first time I sat in, it was, um, I was 12, but it was the night before my 13th birthday, and I sat in with some of these guys. And, you know, I didn't really know how to play jazz. I, I could play Miles' solos by ear, and I could improvise and just make stuff up, but I couldn't play changes or anything like that. Um, and uh, but but you know they they let me play and and they encouraged me they they could tell that I I was passionate about what I was doing and I remember this was back in the 90s too so I people could smoke in the clubs and so I was coming home and I was just covered in cigarette smoke and it was midnight it was my birthday and it was just like I just had a great time I was like wow this this is great I could do this every night anyway getting back so so I lived I lived in Michigan for 15 years and and I felt you know I when I was 20. Um, we actually went to New York with the University of Michigan uh, Jazz Ensemble, and um, I went to a bunch of jam sessions out there in New York, and I had a really great time, and I was thinking, you know, I really uh, need to, to get out of the Midwest because, I mean, even though I, I met some really great people there, it just wasn't, I didn't really feel like there was a place for me there after I graduated. Uh, and I and I really loved being uh um, in New York. Actually, uh, my parents, because we lived in New York for such a long time, didn't want me to go for a while. Uh, so they, they thought it would be a better idea if I went to Boston first. So I, I went to Boston and I was really fortunate, you know, to uh, get a chance to, to go to New England Conservatory and I, I took that opportunity. It, uh, it, one thing that was really cool about it was I was able to study with a, both a jazz and a classical teacher. So I studied jazz with this guy named John McNeil, uh, and I studied classical with this guy named Steve Emery, who was um, who had been in the Boston Symphony for many years and was also, at the time, was in the Boston Pops, uh, mm-hmm. Boston Pops Esplanade Orchestra, I think it was called at that time. And so that was really uh, great. You know, um, Steve was one of those guys. He was a real stickler about about sound uh, and and um, he was he was very he could really pick apart whatever somebody did and so uh i kind of learned to be a little more persnickety about certain things um and and just have a kind of a higher concept of sound although i studied with some really incredible uh orchestral players before and they also really lifted my um concept of sound way higher than it would have been otherwise uh and and john mcneil was a, a creative um uh jazz trumpet player who was always playing around with licks and stuff um and i took that uh, you know, I, I learned that from him, you know, to, to always be playing around with different things. So uh, at one point, they, Dave Holland would do like a residency, and I got to work with uh, Dave through that 
one of the teachers recommended me to do it one semester. And so for like a whole week, we just hung out with Dave, did rehearsals, and then we did a concert after all that. And that was an incredible experience. There's actually a YouTube video that got, you know, I mean, there's not too much jazz that goes viral, but at the time there were a few people that uh, I had known from back in Michigan who actually saw it somehow on YouTube. And this was back in 2009, so it was it was kind of cool that it reached them. And uh, the, the song was called Shadow Dance. It was like a really burning, up-tempo um, uh, tune. about Boston that I really got out of that more than anything was I started really working as a musician. There were a lot of gigs around. Um, and I was fortunate that uh, the guy who was doing a lot of the gigs in Boston, uh, great, another great trumpet player named John Rapogel, who's a really good friend of mine to this day. He's been a friend actually for like probably 15 years now. Um, he, when he couldn't make a gig, uh, often would call me. And so um, that kind of got, got me out there in a lot of new situations and I made connections and, and, uh, you know, I, I started learning how to sight read because that was something that I was going to struggle with. And, and just, just, you know, certain things that uh, just a lot of on the job experience, um, which you really can't put a price on. And, and getting to, you know, work as a musician while being in school is really cool. The whole experience of just playing all the time like that uh, really, uh, really got me, um, you know, gave me a perspective on like the kind of work ethic that I had to develop. Um, and so that was really, really valuable. Um, so uh, that was pretty much, you know, for the most part, my experience. Um, at some point, you know, when I got out of school, I actually uh, I actually just gigged for about a year, uh, and I was playing all kinds of gigs. I, I think I kind of almost got a reputation as, like, the guy who would take any gig, no matter uh, how stupid it, uh, it would make you look. Like, if you had to wear a funny suit or something, like, I didn't care. I just... Um, I would I would do it whatever whatever it was as long as it paid, and um, so I, I lived like that for a year, which is basically like a poverty stricken existence. Um, and, and then I got this job uh, teaching at a music center, and I got a few private students, and I was doing pretty well for a while with that, in addition to the gigs and everything. But I really wanted to go to New York. Uh, I knew that eventually, you know, I was going to have to do that. And the first year in Boston after school, I was like. Um, I, I, I didn't feel quite ready to make that move because I, I was just kind of, you know, getting a feel for what my financial life was going to be like. And uh, I just didn't, you know, moving to New York, is, it costs a lot of money. you got to save money. you got to go there with some money saved away, too. Uh, so I, uh, I just thought, you know, I'm not quite ready to just jump out there and do this. Um, so I waited another year, and that's when I got that job teaching, and I – I saved up a little bit of money, uh, and um, and then I I just made the jump to New York. That was 2012, fall of 2012, and yeah, that's pretty much that experience of Boston. 
So when you when you moved to New York, did were you what were you doing to pay the rent at the time in between gigs? Well, there were a few things that I did. Uh, one, I had a little bit of money saved away, so I wasn't like, uh, you know, on the verge of being destitute. I, I wasn't one of those people like I, I came to New York with like 15 bucks in my pocket. <laughs> I wasn't quite that much of a hustler. Um, so I had a little bit of money saved away. I mean, not a ton, but I had some. Uh, but I also was going back to Boston and doing gigs because uh, uh-huh. I'd seen some of my friends who made the jump do that before I, I left. So I kind of made note of that. Um, and then about two months or so in, uh, I actually got this like, you know, one of those music to your home teaching um, jobs. And I also had, believe it or not, I had such a bond with some of my Boston students that they continued to take lessons with me on Skype even when I was in New York. So I had Great. a few students. So that actually helped me a lot. Uh, so a combination of those two things, and again, I really was not making much money at all, but uh, I was I was okay with it because I wasn't, you know, at one point my bank account really was going down because in New York, unfortunately, a lot of the gigs don't pay. And John McNeil had told me, take every gig that you get offered, no matter what it is. And I, I took some crazy gigs, and some of them really didn't pay much of anything. Uh, there are a lot of big band gigs out there in New York, and a lot of those you know, unless, unless the band leader is paying you out of your pocket, you make like $10, $20. I mean, there, there was a a band um, that there, there's a lot of big bands out there. I won't even mention them by name, but there's some that, you know, they, it literally pays like 10 bucks and you do it. It's just to make connections and, and be heard and, and just make friends and have a good time and, you know, uh, play music. And, you know, eventually at a certain point, I didn't really want to do the big bands quite as much anymore. Um, but that was several years later. So tell me, uh, I, did, tell I did a bunch of those. Yeah, it's unfortunate that uh, arts in this country and artists are not valued as other industries are. Uh, tell us about when you got to play with um, uh, Arturo O'Farrell. Well, so that was a really interesting story. Um, that was kind of a, well, basically what happened was I was on Craigslist just looking for gigs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, believe it or not, Arturo had just become um, a teacher at Brooklyn College, and they needed trumpets in the Brooklyn College band. Like they, I think they only had a couple of trumpet players. And so um, uh, they said, you don't even need to like call us or anything. Just just come. Uh, and, and, and I was like, at first I didn't want to do it because I, I was like, I don't really want to play with a school band again. I was talking to my mom about this, and then she said, no, Josh, you're going to do it, and that's all there is to it. I was like, okay, I guess I'm doing it then. <laughs> so I I, uh, I came down there, and I thought I was only going to make like a couple of rehearsals. And um, and actually, another interesting thing is um, one of my teachers, Rich Willie, uh, had played with Arturo before, not in his uh, big band, I don't think, but he, he played some gig with Arturo in, in the South somewhere. I, I don't know how that what gig it was, but he was friends with him, and he said, when you get to New York, you should look up Arturo and see if he can play in his band. And I thought he was joking because uh, I was like 25. I was like, yeah, maybe in 15 years or something. Wow. But then amazingly, I ended up, yeah, sitting in Arturo's trumpet section. Uh, I I think it was about a year into my move in New York. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I, I, I joined the, I came to the Brooklyn College Band. And, um, you know, I, I, I've been warming up that day. I was really prepared. I was trying to get my chops to feel as good as possible. And at first there was like nobody there. And I was like, is, is anybody even, maybe it's going to start next week. I, then Arturo showed up and there were like a few people there. We kind of played in a combo for a while. And we just kind of, um, he actually, 
had this idea that he wanted us to uh, come up with a song in like an hour. And so he wow. said, so, so he had somebody, <laughs> he said, you play this. And then maybe like another person, you play this and then you play this. So, and then we kind of memorize it as we were going. And he'd, he'd tell you like, you have to remember that we're going to do this part and we're going to do this part and this part. Um, and, uh, and before you know it, after like an hour and a half, we'd come up with this whole piece uh, like as a combo, and we had it all memorized. I mean, it was pretty amazing. Uh, so we did that, and then finally some more people showed up, and we started like kind of playing. We played one of um, Chico Farrell's big band charts. I think it was Undercurrent Blues, as I recall correctly. good that day and I played the best I could uh, and I came up to Arturo and I shook his hand and I said thanks I had a lot of fun and he said thanks he said man you, you sound really good and I was surprised that he uh, you know uh, seemed to, to like my playing that much but he seemed to and so um, so I came back the next week and I did the big band rehearsal and uh, he said he was kind of thinking like they were going to be I was figuring they're going to be like 10,000 trumpet players lined up to do this <laughs> big band and there was no way that I was even going to get to do any, nobody was going to get to do anything because there was going to be so many trumpet players. But amazingly, there were just like three people that showed up, and I was there. Um, and and they actually asked me to play lead trumpet in the in the band. Uh, and so I, I just, you know, luckily I had a lot of experience doing that. You know, from first in Michigan and at Interlochen, and then but then later in Boston, uh, that had kind of become my thing for a little while too. So. Um, uh, I, I, I did that, and uh, that kind of gave me a certain, um, I guess, you know, indispensable, a, a certain amount of indispensableness in the group because uh, it's not always easy to find a lead trumpet player. And so now they had me there, uh, and um, I was, uh, you know, they were playing the parts uh, as best as I could every week. And um, and so, and we started having a lot of fun, and it just became something, you know, that I was doing. And then when an opportunity came, uh, Arturo was doing a, uh, like a clinic performance at the Harlem School of the Arts, and he asked me to come, and I played with his combo for the kids, and um, and then I got to play uh, the Afro-Latin jazz suite with the Afro-Latin jazz orchestra. Wow. Sitting on the fifth trumpet part. <laughs> uh, and that was pretty cool. So that was the first time. And then, uh, you know, after that, he called me to sub. Um, and uh, and then probably the, the coolest thing was was getting to play that uh, Afro-Cuban jazz moods piece that was originally written for Dizzy. And I'd heard that piece before. He asked me if I could do it. Uh, I didn't really know because I'd only listened to it like a few times in my life. I said, you know, I'll give it a shot. Uh, and uh, so I we did like a rehearsal, for a bunch of rehearsals for that. And then I remember... Um, I uh, I was looking at the part and it said like I think it said Clark Terry on there and I, I thought that was so cool I was reading off but it was originally written for Dizzy by Chico O'Farrell so that was a really great um, 
thing. And, and, and I learned a lot from Arturo about being a musician as well. Um, he, he actually, I was, you know, come, being from Boston, Boston is known for having trumpet players who are kind of technicians, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of a technician when I came to New York. I really wanted to show people I could play the trumpet well, you know. And, um, and Arturo actually wasn't as big of a fan of that. He was like, you know, uh, he was like, you're playing, one time he told me, you're playing notes. I hate notes. Uh, <laughs> and, and, um, and basically what he meant was he didn't care so much about what notes I was playing. He cared about how I was playing the notes. And, right. and another time he said, um, you know, the music on the page will lie to you. Uh, basically what he meant was, you know, sometimes you have to go outside of what's written on the page and just, mm-hmm. just get creative and just, you know, go wherever the music takes you. And he was the first big band leader that I ever worked with who said something like that. Cause most everybody else was just like, play what's on the page, be as accurate as possible. That must've been very freeing for you, that permission he gave you. Yeah, it, it was, it was incredible. And, and, you know, I think it actually makes, it does, you know, depending on the situation, I think, you know, if you're doing studio work in LA, mm-hmm. uh, you might want to be a little bit more by the book and just, you know, uh, play exactly what's on the page. But in that particular situation, it really made everybody play better, I felt. Uh, yep. And I think that was definitely one of Arturo's strengths, that he, he knows how to get the best out of his uh, players. And uh, so that, yeah, especially from a musical standpoint, because he would get people who were used to playing exactly what was on the page uh, to be able to do that, but do what's beyond it. Right. You've you played with a lot of people um, that I know and admire Roy Hardgrove, Christian McBride, Jimmy Owens, Ben Fold. Uh, you've you've played uh, performed live on the Today Show for NBC. When you were playing, performing, I'll say, because I know it's different in rehearsal. What's this? Can you describe the feeling for you when it's not work? When I don't mean work at a gig, but it doesn't feel like work. What? Or maybe it does for you. Uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth. What? What? What kind of feeling do you get when you play? Um, well, you know, it's funny you mention that because I think this whole coronavirus situation, which I'd be remiss if I didn't mention at least once. Um, I think that's actually really put some things in perspective for me because mm-hmm. um, I started, you know, really thinking about. I mean, before, for a long time, I've been thinking about why I started playing to begin with, like mm. that whole magical musical connection with Miles and listening to his recordings taught me how to play in certain ways and in many ways. And, and also reading the things that he said about music, too. Mm. Um, and and uh, just, you know, realizing uh, it's so important to have that connection with what you're doing, no matter what. Uh, and unfortunately, when I was doing, you know, when when I was younger and I was doing, you know, uh, certain gigs, I didn't always think of it that way because I, I it's not that I thought of it as work, but I just, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to do a good job. And I was thinking about, I want to do a good job. I wasn't, but I wasn't thinking necessarily about, um, and maybe that's what Arturo was kind of trying to tell me too, is, 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 uh, you know, enjoy the music, um, relax and, you know, don't just worry about playing the parts perfectly or whatever, Mm-hmm. worry about making people feel something you know that that's something that when i was younger came very easily for me and i think when i got into the working music world i kind of lost touch with it a little bit because you know there's so much emphasis it does become kind of like work if you let it you know um, yeah. if you're playing 
gigs and and you know sometimes you're playing gigs just to to play to pay the rent you know you're not always i i mean um there are certain styles of music and and i i don't mean to sound ungrateful because i'm grateful to anyone who's ever called me uh for gigs particularly ones that were well-paying um but uh you know i mean there were certain times where there were certain gigs i mean if, if they didn't pay i wouldn't have done them and, and that's part of the reason that they do pay is because you know the gigs that pay tend to be the ones that um that people would not do for free. Like people, they don't pay people generally to, you know, play at a big band in a club because there's so many people who will do that for ten bucks. Um, nice. But if you're, you know, if you want people to, you know, uh, dress up in a funny suit and play something, and you know, uh, then you got to pay them, or, or you know, march in a parade band or something. You got to pay them something because they're not going to do that for free. Uh, right. And so. Uh, you know, so there's there's that element. Um, but I think in the situations that you mentioned, uh, it was kind of one of those things, ironically, that, well, when I was younger and I started playing with some people who were well-known at first, I was, I was kind of scared because I didn't think it was going to happen for me that quickly in New York. I mean, I really thought I was going to be playing in, you know, restaurants with one person in it for like at least five, ten years. <laughs> it's like, you know, kind of... Uh, Doom and gloom. Um, it turns out in New York, it's actually not quite as much like that as you would think, which is is kind of cool. But you do have to work really hard, and and you have to earn it, you know. And and um, you know, sometimes you might be playing in a band, you you'll play with them for six months uh, every week or something, and then all of a sudden, uh, someone really well known or someone you really like musically, but might just show up and sit in. I've had that experience, but but you don't expect that that's going to happen. You're just playing and just doing what you're doing, and and then it happens. I'll tell you about the, the Today Show gig. It was uh, one challenge about that. The first challenge about it was I was the only trumpet player. We had four trumpets on that gig. And um, these guys were all incredible classical trumpet players. They were like, um, the guy who leads it is a guy named Michael Klein. He's a graduate of Juilliard. He's played with the Met before and done some really incredible things. Uh, he's a classical trumpet player. And, and the other guys uh, were also uh, Roberto Gandara, also a really amazing classical trumpet player. Um, I, I hung out with him one time before that gig just like a trumpet hang, and uh, uh, he played, I think it was the Gabrielli Brass, something group, it's like a really amazing uh, classical group, and I believe he's a Juilliard graduate also in classical trumpet, and so these guys were like, you know, uh, so good at that playing that style, which is not, even though my mother's a classical musician, and I, I studied classical music my whole life, but I, I never specialized in it, so those guys were so good, I was almost like, maybe I should just pack up my horn and go home, but I stayed and I did the gig because I promised to do it. Uh, and the other thing that was tough about it was I uh, I had to memorize the thing we were playing, and I was playing the third trumpet part. So uh, it was like an inner voice. I, I practiced it like a million times. So I, I thought, I'm, I'm prepared like crazy for this. And then we do a, did a rehearsal, and I heard their parts, which sounded completely different from my part, and it just like threw me for a loop. You know, I was hitting some wrong notes, and then one of the other trumpet players, uh, Henry Gudino, who's a really good friend of mine also, he said, he suggested, he said, maybe like write a few things on your hand so that way you can remember um, the part a little bit better. Because he said it's really hard to remember when you hear all this other stuff going on around you that sounds completely different. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that's a good idea. But then I started, so I did that. But then as we rehearsed it a couple more times, as we were playing it like live on television in front of millions of people, I started to hear how my part fit in with what everybody else was doing. And then it just came together. And that was, that was the really beautiful moment of that gig uh, and there's actually a video of it that floats um we're, we're wearing these you know, royal outfits it was for the royal Where wedding people find find that video 
Um, I think it's on the King's Brass. Uh, the, that was the name of the group, King's Brass. They have an in- Instagram page, and it's somewhere on there. Uh, it was it was like May 2018, so I think you might. I don't think they post that much. So you might not have to scroll down that far actually, but but it was pretty cool. They had a, like a horse and carriage going. It was for the royal wedding, so it was like it was almost like we were celebra- celebrating that wedding in New York, and there were all these people, and yeah. um, and we played that fanfare a bunch of times and, and played it as well as we could, and we had a good time. That's great. Well, I we don't have a lot of time left, but I want to ask you a couple more questions at least. Um, um, the pandemic obviously affects you and your work, as it has everyone, I'm sure. Yeah. What do you, where do you where do you see when when you're able to and things are opening up and some are closing down? Of course, this is um, the date we're recording is August 25th, 2021. So right now things are open, but things are closed, depending upon where you are. Yeah. Where how do you where do you see yourself? Or what do you want to do? How do you want to grow as an artist in the next ten years or so? Um, well, one thing I, I've been doing a lot, you know, over the years is just working on my own voice and thinking. You know, I spend a lot of time playing in trumpet sections and uh, you know doing those types of gigs that I just told you about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I always, for a long time, I was thinking, who is Josh Mizraki? And around 2015, about six years ago. Uh, right at the beginning of the year, I started to understand who I was uh, as a musician. Um, and I realized there's a lot of me that likes to go actually against the grain uh, mm. and and do my own thing, even even if, uh, you know, it's not what other people are doing or if it's... Mm. Uh, I, and, and, you know, going back to that time of first hearing Miles Davis and, and, and uh, really hearing his individuality as, as an artist and, and realizing that I wanted to find my own way uh, and, you know, I've, I've listened a lot to Miles. I've listened to a lot of uh, Freddie Hubbard and Roy Eldridge and Louis Armstrong and um, uh, Clifford Brown. And, and uh, one of my teachers, um, Rich Willie, actually said to me once, he said, you know, if you listen to enough different people and you take a little bit of what you like of this person, a little bit of what you like from this person, you put together in your own thing, you start to sound like yourself. So I've been kind of finding... Uh, and it's a never-ending process. I'm always learning, you know, who I am on a new on a newer level. But I found since I've been doing gigs as as like a a soloist or small smaller bands, really bonding with people. And it's a challenge because you know it's it's uh, not as remunerative uh, at all as uh, some of the gigs that I was talking about and other gigs I've done. I, I I have such a strong bond with so many of the people who listen to me. Like some, I've had people tell me that you know they were having a horrible day and then they heard me play at a club and it made them feel better. Um, and, and, you know, when you hear things like that, it's like, it just makes you feel like what you're doing is, uh, is reaching someone and it really makes you feel good. That Um, makes you very wealthy indeed. Yeah. And, and, uh, so I, you know, I've thought a lot about that as far as the pandemic. I mean, I I honestly had a lot of anger regarding the situation because, um, there were certain times where, you know, the pandemic got really bad and like, I had to go to the dentist and I was thinking like, I want to go to the dentist, but I don't want to die. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I got really angry that I had to make choices like that. And, mm. and, and, and I, I felt angry uh, about all the people who were just kind of left in the lurch with this whole thing. Like they lose their jobs, they lose their apartments. Uh, you know, I've been fortunate to keep a roof over my head during this whole time, but I mean, it's, it's really, I'm very disappointed with the direction that this country has taken in many ways. And it's been that way for a long time with 
you know, the whole Donald Trump situation, which I am very, very angry about to this day. Uh, And I don't have any qualms about expressing that, which I don't know. Some people say, oh, maybe you shouldn't be so honest about that. You might rub someone the wrong way. And sometimes I'm just like, you know, I don't care as far as that, because what he's standing for is for something that I do not stand for. Can you you take your anger out through or channel it through your horn? Sometimes, yeah. I I actually wrote a song called Code Red, um, Mm. basically about the danger that is always around in this world. And I I mean, I can't just blame the United States. It's really in a lot of different places. There's there's always so much danger. There's there's viruses and there's income inequality and there's there's this and there's that. You know, I mean, all kind of how much time you got. Well, you know, the music really can, as you know, through different times of struggle, can't really make the change, but it can inspire us people to change. And perhaps your song will do that. And speaking of inspiring, if there's a parent listening to this and wants to with their a child or a young child like you are, 10, 11, 12 or a teenager, and they want and they and they want to pick up an instrument, right? Maybe it's not the trumpet, but they want to play. Where do they go? What should they do? What if their school doesn't have instruments? That's a great question. Uh, you know, um, well, assuming that their school doesn't have um, an instrumental program, there are a lot of extracurricular programs, uh, you know, that a lot of musicians are doing. Um, that really help people. All you have to do is, you know, Google, see which ones. It depends on what style. I mean, there's there's so many. Even, you know, if you can't get into like the prep school orchestras or uh, I, I don't know, I never did anything like that. So I don't know what it's like to get into a, a program like that. I did do something with the University of Michigan program. You had to audition to get in and I, it was a jazz thing. And luckily they, they picked me to do it. If you were to audition and you could get in, then you'd do that. If you couldn't, you know, there's a lot of community bands out. I think I, I actually played in a community band when I was in high school, and I got so much out of it. The, the people there were really nice to me, and I remember it, it was actually a great experience because everybody kind of got to play and do their thing, and, and we were all playing and, and doing the best we could, but it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't too competitive or anything like that. We were just all enjoying the music together. So I think that's a great way to go. I mean, there, there's the opportunities are there if, if you, if you uh, look for it. If you're fortunate to to be in a metropolitan area like New York, like, you know, I've, I've worked a lot with kids in, in Newark, New Jersey. You know, some of them have not had the opportunity to play. We actually had this um, thing with the VH1 behind the music program where we actually brought uh, instruments to one of these schools. And uh, it was really cool to, to see that happen just because, you know, it was such a necessary thing. And, and, and it did make me feel like, yeah, we're giving, everyone should have a chance to play music. Um, I mean, there's also the challenge of affording an instrument, you know, renting an instrument is, is a possibility. I actually did that for several years before I finally bought a trumpet. It was late middle school. I think I finally bought one. Yeah, are some you people teaching benefit. now? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I am. Uh, I've Where been teaching are you Skype teaching lessons. privately or? Uh, yeah, I've been giving private Skype lessons. Um, one one job that I actually had uh, right before the pandemic, which I'm, we, we're not quite ready to start doing it again. But I actually had a gig um, in New York playing jazz for uh, for for kids um, and teaching them about jazz. So actually, that's another thing. If if one was in the New York area, like we were going up to places in the Bronx, uh, that wasn't so much in the New Jersey area. But in, in New York, we were getting to play jazz for kids and um, we're just starting to get to do that. And that was a really cool thing. So, uh, I mean, it depends on the area you live. It's a very individual thing. 
I mean, actually, growing up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, I mean, there weren't like a ton of opportunities for me to play either, but I was able to find like community bands. Uh, I did the school bands that I could for a while. Uh, There was a performing arts school, local performing arts school. I I mean, I found some opportunities. So a lot of it depends on where you live, uh, especially if you're near a metropolitan area. But but the beautiful thing is that there are musicians in almost every place playing. And so if you can find those people... And if you live in a really small town and you really, like say you lived in Nebraska or something, if there is a place where there's a band playing, there's probably maybe not quite as many people um, who are playing out there. You maybe could go to a professional band if you're a kid and you're really serious and you might be able to sit in. You know, they might let you sit in. And I, I, there's, there's just, just seeing, there's, there's always something in almost every place. And if it's not exactly where you are, there's probably something a half hour away. I mean, unfortunately, I haven't lived in that many different places, so I, I can't speak for every place. But I do know people who have moved to different areas when they were kids just because they had a better music program or it mm-hmm. had something that, you know, really opened up a door for them. And so, you know, I think those are all possibilities. Uh, I think if, if anyone was really, um, you know, having trouble and they wanted to contact me and ask, tell me about their situation and want any advice, I'd be happy to give it. So, Josh, if they do, if someone's in the metropolitan area, or even if they're not because of Zoom and Skype, how can people contact you about uh, lessons? Uh, well, there's Instagram. Uh, there's um, Facebook. I have a, an email address, jamesrucky at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, which is my name, Josh Mizrucky, or Rebel with the Trumpet, one word. You can find me at jamesrucky at gmail.com. I try to be good at responding to emails. You can find and me on Facebook. Just type my yeah, email. that's spelled M-I-Z-R-U-C-H-I. And, and then the last thing I'll say about, um, you know, studying music when you're a kid is one thing I've learned from the teaching I've done, and this is one thing that my mom also told me. So many people, if they quit playing later on, regret it. You know, so yep. I would say no matter what your situation is, just just go for it. You don't have to be a professional musician if you don't want to. Just, just, but just do it. Any, just play. You know, just, just uh, get in a group and just play the music for the fun of playing the music, because it will make you better at just the things in life that that you uh, that do become like the things that you do for a living. If you're not becoming a musician, um, I mean, it requires discipline. There are so many people who are uh, musicians who go along, go on to become, you know, uh, lawyers, doctors, really, really, uh, you know, well-paying jobs, and uh, so it really does help. Uh, And even if, you know, it doesn't help you with your work, it will just help you with your your spirit. Uh, But I think the most important thing also is to to just, you know, try to don't worry about like, you know, playing better than this or that person, especially when you're first starting out. Just just play, just make music and have fun. Don't get into an ego thing. Just play and, and, and just see what you can learn. You know, that's what I would say. Well, thank you, Josh. I mean, it's so good talking to you because in this small time that we've had together, I see that arc from that 10-year-old boy all the way up to this adult professional playing man. And, you know, I I sum it up of just passion and hard work and that success means different things to different people. And it sounds like, as it is the same for me, it's like if you can pay the rent and afford enough to buy paint all the time, and you can afford to buy, pay your rent and keep your trumpet polish and buy other ones that we're really happy. We're the ones that are doing really well in life instead of chasing things just to have them. 
I I love your music. It's a beautiful flow to it. And Thank people you. can listen to you on Bandcamp, correct? Yes, they can listen to on Bandcamp. Um, I have SoundCloud. If people still do that, I'm not sure. <laughs> and I also have a website, joshmazraki.com, which has a bunch of videos from YouTube that are in the, the videos section. That would be great. Okay. Well, I want to thank you so much for talking with me today. And I'm sure that you've inspired someone out there to not only maybe consider picking up an instrument, as you I said, so. you don't have to be professional to be able to enjoy yourself. And, and music is a great healer and a great communicator and bridges a lot of gaps. It's a universal yeah. language. So I want to thank you so much. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you for having me and um, for bringing me to be a part of this incredible channel. And uh, it really is an honor. I'm very, very happy to be a part of it. And uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thank you, Josh. We're going to go out of today's show listening to Josh's solo trumpeting from a song entitled Hell in a Handbasket, released in October 2020, recorded in Prospect Park, New York. Well, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode of Why Not? What If? And if it has inspired you, let's hope that you start asking yourself, Why Not? What If? So if you or someone you know would like to be considered as a guest on an upcoming episode, please write to me at BruceWhyNotMe at gmail.com. And I hope you'll tune in to next week's show. Thanks again for joining me.